will be preaching today. So Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over the things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Praise of your glorious grace. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work among us now in this brief time in your word, that we would be a people to the praise of your glorious grace. Remind us of your grace. Thrill us in the knowledge of your grace. Overwhelm us, we pray, at the truth of your grace toward us in your Son. And let us be a people resolved to be those to your praise and glory in view of your grace to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, Father, all these things we ask of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long before the Second World War, a small town in rural Texas experienced 
uh, a disaster. A fire broke out in a, a school and took some of the lives of its students. After the war, population of the town grew so that the school needed to be expanded. And in the new buildings that were built was the finest sprinkler system ever designed. The town continued to grow until more buildings had to be added. And as the new buildings were being added, it was discovered that the sprinkler system had never been connected to a water source. And so the the system was in place, and yet it was powerless to do any good. Well, so far in our study of Paul's great letter to the church in Ephesus, he has blessed God for our blessings in Christ. He's blessed God for our election in Christ, for our redemption in Christ, for our inheritance in Christ, for our seal in Christ. And in our passage today, Paul will add three more, three more blessings that are ours in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the focus of our passage isn't so much on the blessings as much as it is knowing that those blessings are ours, knowing them, experiencing them, tasting them, feeling assured of them at the core of our innermost being. Why? Because there is all the difference in the world between having something and experiencing it. Having something but not experiencing it is a bit like a a sprinkler system that's installed but not connected. Great to have, but powerless to do anything in our lives. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15 and 18. Paul writes, for this reason, and the reason being their faith in Christ Jesus, Paul's just referred to it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And from there again, Paul mentions three blessings that he wanted the church to know. Three blessings that he wanted the church to experience and to savor. And so the essence of his prayer really is that the church would comprehend God's blessings in Christ. If you're into taking notes, that would be the title for the message. Comprehend God's blessings in Christ. Comprehend them in your hearts. Comprehend them in the deepest part of who you are. Before we get there, I don't want us to miss something that we've read in our passage. There's something in the verses I just read that actually push back on something in our culture. It might be something that we've unknowingly imbibed into ourselves. Paul prayed that the church, that God would give to the church a spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. And the enlightenment that Paul prays for there is radically different to the kind of enlightenment that maybe most people think of when they hear that word today, enlightenment. When most people in our culture hear the word enlightenment, maybe they imagine a a Buddhist monk sat on the top of some mountain somewhere seeking to empty his mind in order that God would give to him revelation and, and enlightenment. Christian enlightenment is what happens when the Holy Spirit applies Christian truth to our hearts. So it doesn't happen when we empty our minds. It happens when we fill our minds with the truth and the Holy Spirit applies that truth into our hearts. Notice that immediately after Paul prays for the church to be given the spirit of wisdom and for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened, he goes on to describe the blessings that he wants them to know. He goes on to write the rest of the book of Ephesians. Why? Because truth and experience need each other. They need each other. If you and I were flying on an airplane at 30,000 feet and I turned to you and I said, which do you think is most important, the left wing or the right wing? I wonder what you would say. Or if we were in a train and I said to you, I wonder which is more important, the left rail or the right rail? What would you say? They need each other. Well, in just the same way, truth without experience, experience without truth will cause our lives to derail. So friends, follow me today and let's wrestle with our minds as we consider all that Paul has to say, fully believing that God will give to us his spirit of wisdom. And open our eyes of our, of our hearts that we would know what is ours in Christ. And that we would rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're going to comprehend, seek to comprehend God's blessings in Christ. That we would comprehend, number one, the hope to which he has called you. Number one, the hope to which he's called you. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, when we hear Paul speak of hope, we might assume that he's using that word in the same way that we use that word. We use the word hope today to describe an uncertain wish about the future, don't we? So perhaps a child hopes that on his birthday he will be able to unwrap the gift that he's he's asked for. A woman hopes that she'll be offered the job that she's interviewed for. A man hopes foolishly that England won't lose in penalties for the 10 billionth time. Hope to you and me is a longing that may or may not be fulfilled. But that's not how the Bible speaks about our hope in Christ. When the Bible speaks of hope in Christ, it's speaking about a concrete reality in the present. It's referring to the realm in which a Christian lives. 
So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is going to point his readers back to their lives before they were saved. And in verse 12, he's going to say, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, he writes, not perhaps someday, not but fingers crossed we we might imagine, no, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul prayed that these believers would know that when God called them, they were transferred into a realm of hope in Jesus Christ. A hope that has been fulfilled. A hope that has been received. Why? Well, because again, if you don't know that hope is yours now, then you won't live as though it's yours now. In another life, I used to work as a, as a caseworker for Christians Against Poverty, a great debt counseling charity. And I worked in the repayment team. So by the time a client had been passed to my team, which was the best team, of course, a, a, a budget had been prepared for the client. And the client would pay their disposable income into us, and then our system would pro rata and pay that uh, amount of money out into their creditors. So every month, their balance of debt would go down and down and down. And the highlight of the job was receiving confirmation from their last creditor that the last pound had been paid and that they were debt-free. We'd call the client, we'd tell them we've had confirmation, you're debt-free, And then 350 people who worked in head office would all blow a harmonica that we were given when we were hired, and we'd all do a big Mexican wave. It was maybe the most millennial work experience ever (laughs) in the world. But, But think about it for a moment. If we'd never passed on the news that the hope of being debt free had been fulfilled in their lives, they would live as though they were still in debt. They would still pay into us when they don't have to. And the reality is, Jesus Christ has paid our entire debt on the cross of Calvary, which means hope is ours now. Hope is ours today. Yes, it will be there tomorrow when we wake up in the morning, but hope is the realm in which we belong and live today. Some of you know what it's like to be betrayed by family and friends and to to experience a level of loneliness that you never knew existed. But Romans chapter 1 verse 6 says this, that you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And the hope of belonging to Jesus Christ is a hope that has been realized. You belong to him today. He is yours And you are his. And he walks beside you. He's all around you in your loneliness. Others of you know what it feels like to be pinned to the floor by some sin. It's always there. It's always crouching at the door. It's always ready to to flare up at any moment and to rob you of your joy in Jesus. But Paul identifies Christians like this in Romans 1 verse 7 as those who are loved 
by God and called to be saints. And your sainthood has been realized today. It doesn't take 20 years. You don't have to wait until you're dead. You don't have to work for the, wait for the church to declare you a saint. No, God declares you a saint now. Others of you know what it's like to worry, don't you? And you're awake every night, worrying about that child, worrying about that misunderstanding, worrying about that great unknown in your life. But Galatians 5 verse 13 says that you were called to freedom, brothers. And the call to freedom is a hope that is yours today through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the call is to realize it. The call is to know it. The call is not only to have it in your brain, but for the eyes of your heart to be open to it as you yield to the gospel that made that hope yours in the present. Comprehend, Paul says, God's blessings in Christ. The hope to which he has called you and then second, the riches of his glorious inheritance. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Look at verse 18 again. Paul writes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I pray, Paul says, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That having spoken of the hope to which we were called in the past, here Paul talks about our glorious inheritance, ours in the future in heaven, so that our entire lives are like bookended with glory and with gospel hope. You remember how the apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he said, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hope behind us and all around us, heaven ahead of us. And we're not told, are we, exactly what this inheritance in heaven is going to be like. But we've been told some things. We've been told glorious things. Revelation 22 verse 3 and 5 say this. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God. And of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him there. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And that is part of your inheritance that is yet to come. 1 John 3 verse 2 says this, What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 
and 21 say, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. And I pray for this church that we would know that that is coming our way. Why? Why bother praying that knowledge down out of heaven into earth and into our hearts? Because if you're not careful, heaven can do some weird things to you, can't it? You you remember the church in Thessalonica? The church in Thessalonica had some members who had quit their jobs because they were way too busy sitting in the garden, looking up into the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back all day, every day. If you're not careful, heaven can do some strange things to you. But here's why we need to be assured of heaven. It puts our glorious future. Let me say that again, because our glorious future puts our grueling present into perspective. Our glorious future puts our grueling present into perspective. And the reality is, if you are not assured that heaven is on the way, you will throw in the towel at some point in your life. You'll throw in the towel when you can't bring yourself to forgive the person that had an affair with your dad. You'll throw in the towel when you can't love that person who lied about you at work and cost you a promotion. You'll throw in the towel when a friend commits suicide. You'll throw in the towel when it just looks more fun to be an unbeliever in the world today. If the light of heaven doesn't shine into those dark valleys, then you will not continue to climb as a believer. A few years ago, there was a man who who went to see his pastor. He sat down with his pastor and he said to him, Pastor, there's, there's no way that I can be a Christian. And so his pastor asked him to, to share his testimony and to answer a few questions about his previous profession of faith in Christ. And from everything he said, it really did sound that he'd grasped the gospel and that he really was a Christian. So he said to him, so why don't you feel like you're a Christian then? And he said to him, because I'm always fighting against myself all of the time. And the pastor said, me too. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, I am really in the middle of some struggles today that are threatening my faith. And the pastor said, me too. And he said, all right, let me put it to you like this. If you could prove to me right now that the bones of Jesus are out there somewhere in the Middle East, I would leave this place, I would get as drunk as I could get, and I would commit immorality with anyone who would let me. And the pastor said, me too. And he said, in fact, that's exactly what the Bible says we should do. If Christ has not been raised, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
And there is great encouragement, isn't there, in knowing that someone else is with you in your struggle, but there is another encouragement. There's a greater encouragement. And that encouragement is this. The fight will soon be over. The fight will soon be over. One day, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And you will worship as you have always wanted to worship without your mind being distracted, without your conscience being accused, and without your soul straying from the Lord. And you will love him and love your neighbor throughout heaven's eternal days. So friend, keep going. Keep fighting. Keep looking to Jesus. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. In the grand sweep of human history, heaven is around the corner for all of us. Not only that, but friends, give thanks today for what will be yours later on. Why do I say that? Well, church, listen and follow with me on this. Colossians 1 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you you hear that? Give thanks today because you've been qualified to share an inheritance that's yet to come. That'll mean actually thinking about heaven, won't it? I was really, really challenged by this uh, this past week in my own preparation for this message because he, here's how I pray. I start praying, responding to what I've just read in the word of God. And then I pray for my family. And then I pray for the members and for the regular attenders of this church. And then I pray for God's blessing on the ministry as a whole. And then I pray for Hoylake. And then I go to work. No thought about heaven at all. Doesn't register, doesn't factor in to my prayer life. But if in the coming week we all thought about heaven twice as much as we thought about our problems, I bet our faces would be radiant with the glory of God in Christ Jesus this time next week. Number three, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. Comprehend God's blessings, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Look at verses 19 and 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thought about our hope in the past when we were saved, our inheritance in glory in the end, and here, God's power toward us in the present. 
If you were to combine all of the powers of man, his intellect, his will, his ingenuity, his reason, his physical strength, and you were to march it into the ring with death, the fight would be over at the end of the first round. But God has done with his power what man could never do with his. He has swallowed up death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only in the resurrection of Christ, but in taking Jesus from the lowest place to the very highest place. Seating him at his right hand. And thereby announcing to the entire universe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord over life and death, over angels and demons, over powers that are seen and unseen, over everything else in all of creation. And he's established Jesus as head over the church who fills the church with his presence and with his power today. The Pope isn't the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And Paul prayed that the church would know that that very power is at work in every true member of the body of Jesus Christ. And you ask yourself the question, how how is it? A power. We just feel like normal people, don't we? We just feel like ordinary people who get up in the morning, brush their teeth, get dressed, go to work. How is God's power at work within us? Well, friends, we experienced it the moment that we were saved. It's so fascinating to view Ephesians 1 in the context of Ephesians chapter 2, because here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has said that according to God's great power, he raised Christ from the dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then down in verse 5, God made a life together with him with the exact same power. God's power blasted into your soul like a rocket the moment you were saved. And it's at work towards us now as it keeps us in Christ For the very last day, the day of judgment. Just listen one more time to the verse I quoted earlier. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So to the one who asks the question, will I be able to hold on to Jesus Christ until the end? Friend, that is the wrong question. The right question is, will God be able to hold on to me? And the answer is, yes, he will. Because his power is immeasurable. It is greater and wider and higher and deeper than even the universe itself few months ago, I heard of a guy called uh, Brian Johnson, and this guy has spent currently over two million U.S. dollars in trying to get his 18-year-old body back. He's 45, and he's employed a team of professionals to sort of press reverse 
on his body and get his 18-year-old brain, heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, tendons, teeth, scare, hair, and bladder back. Personally, I'm all right with not having my 18-year-old brain back. I'm okay with that. But to state, to state the obvious, that is a $2 million fool's errand. There is no going back in human history. But friends, the wonderful news is this. Although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed in the image of our maker. And God is able to keep us until that process is complete. We don't need a team of professionals. We've got God's power bringing the finished product to bear in our lives. So let me say this to one and to all today. Friend, it is not all down to you. It is not all down to you. I know sometimes that you feel as a Christian like you're running on a treadmill. You're exerting all of this effort, but you're not moving forward. I know that others of you are, are walking through trials that are sapping you of your strength and vitality as a believer. And I know others of you have thoughts sometimes that scare yourself and you wonder if I was really a Christian, would I have just thought that right now? But friend, listen, get over yourself because God's immeasurable power is sufficient for you and it will do what you and I could never do in the flesh. And God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the power of his great might. And he will do it. And where can we access that power? Where do we, where do we get it from? Well, listen to what Paul said to the Ephesian elders, the elders of this very church here. He said this in Acts chapter 20. He said to them, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. We experience God's keeping power through the message that is God's power. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of his grace. And so I want to close today with four ways that you can yield to the gospel every day. And if you will practice these four habits, I promise you that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Even as everyone else is, is wilting to death in a, in a wilderness world, friend, you will blossom and flourish and thrive as a believer. Number one, acknowledge your helplessness without the gospel. Don't assume your need for the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ will sound like nothing more than white noise to you if you don't tell yourself and if you don't remind yourself that apart from the gospel, you are a sinner worthy of the wrath of God before the face of God. That's who I am. 
And that's who you are apart from the gospel of Christ. Number two, pray for help to believe the gospel. Say to the Lord, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, help me now in this moment to believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore every sin that I have committed, will ever commit, and drank to the last degree, drank down to the dregs, the wrath of God that was at one time before and against me. Number three, trust a promise from the Bible about the gospel. Don't depend on yourself to work up affections and faith and everything else about the gospel. Say to yourself what Paul said, he loved me and he gave himself for me. And that was as true for the apostle Paul as it's true for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Or what about in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I grab that promise today. I stand on that promise today and I believe it afresh. And lastly, share the gospel with others. Yes, for their benefit, but for yours as well. Because when you share the gospel, you find that you do begin to comprehend God's blessings in Christ. And you believe them all over again. And you begin to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. And then we'll stand to our feet and we'll respond to, to what we've heard. Father in heaven, we thank you today.